I want to thank the church and the many expressions of uh, love that you've given to my family over the last few weeks. Um, it has been a, um, an interesting journey, and it's not done. Uh, my, my father is getting transported from one home to another, to another nursing home tomorrow. And uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of an ongoing, ongoing process. But, uh, you know, we rejoice that my mother is in heaven. And, uh, and as I was I mentioned, mentioned earlier today, you know, her, the, the physical ills that she had are, are gone. Um, and uh, she, she has all her teeth today. So that's kind of interesting as we uh, think about the, what, what, it, what it's like to have a, have a, a, a body in heaven. So um, take your Bible with me, please, and look with me in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, in what I've entitled the melting pot. Um, you have an outline. Is that, is that true? Did that, that, that made, it, made its way to you? So that's, that's nice. And uh, we're going to be spending most of our time in the first point today, just to give you a, a fair, fair notice of what we're doing. Uh, and as we, as we begin, I want to read Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 8. So follow with me. I'm going to begin reading Romans chapter 15, verse 8. <clears throat> now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written... For this reason, I will confess you to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I would not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he, ha uh, he ha uh, was not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard, shall understand. Father, we ask that you might 
uh, bless our time together. We thank you for the uh, scriptures before us today, and we ask that you give clarity and, and purpose and understanding in all these things. We seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We use the phrase melting pot for various places. Like, for example, New York City is considered a melting pot where people have gathered from literally all around the world. If you, if you want to see the world, you could go to New York City. We ministered for almost 20 years in New Jersey, right across the river from, uh, from uh, uh, New York City. And while not quite as much diversity in, in uh, New, New Jersey, we, we, had, we had a lot. I had one service that I, I actually counted the languages of the Bibles that were in the service. Now, I'm not talking about different English translations. I'm talking about different languages. And I counted nine different languages that were in our morning service on that, on that Sunday morning. And so you get a sense of what a melting pot is, where, where people come together and they are not emphasizing what is their distinctiveness, what is their, their, their difference, but what do they have in common? What are, what are they sharing together? And that's really the point here as we come to uh, this passage. Romans chapter 14 and into chapter 15 is, is really an instruction about how do you get along in the body of Christ when you have differences. How do you, how do you understand when you don't always think the same, how can you still function together as one body? And I'll tell you, that's not easy, especially when I'm the one that's always right, and you're the one that's always wrong. It's really hard when you don't agree with what you should agree with, right? I mean, that's, 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 it's, 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 that's easy for me, but it's hard for you. Well, you understand, if we all have that attitude, if we all come into it with that perspective, we are not going to get very far. It is not coincidental that Paul ends the, the, the passage dealing with how do Christians get along when we don't always agree. It's not coincidental that he now engages us in one of the great issues of the early church, and that is Jews and Gentiles together. How do they function together? How do they work together? One of the things that we want to take away from this, not only the passage in front of us, but really the culmination from Romans chapter 14, is really that we, we need to learn to major on majors. Let, let minor things be minor, and let major things be major things. Now the problem is when we take minor things and we raise them to majors. That's the, that's the problem. Now, it is true that we could take major items and say they're not very important, make them minor issues, 
That's, that's possible. That's really what liberalism does, is it takes cardinal truths of the gospel and discards them as unimportant. We don't want to do that. But at the same time, we don't want to take things that are, that are minor and somehow raise them so that they become very important. There is the essence of the gospel there is the, 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 the essence of what is truly part of the truth of the gospel. Now, as we open up this passage, we have, we have the discussion between what is Jewish in verse 8. And we're, we're going to look at the outline here in a few moments. But we have the Jewishness of verse 8. And then we have these series of quotations from the Old Testament that all have to do with Gentiles. Now imagine that you are a Jewish person and you have thousands of years of history behind you as a Jewish person. From when Paul is writing in the first century, it has now been 2,000 years since the Abrahamic covenant was given and the institute of circumcision was, was, became part of Jewish life. It is 1,500 years since Moses wrote the law. And so for, for literally hundreds and hundreds and multiplied generations, you have lived one way with one code, with one way of life. And, and it is designed to make you different from the rest of the world. You are to worship in a different place. You are to eat a different food. You are to look a different way. You are to uh, conduct business in a certain way. All of it is designed to make you different from the world. And then along comes the church, and all of a sudden, the Gentiles are welcomed in. The Gentiles? Wait, wait. We have had hundreds of years trying to distinguish ourselves from the Gentiles. We are to be different from the Gentiles. The Gentiles don't circumcise. The Gentiles eat pork. The Gentiles work on the Sabbath day. Oh, this is terrible. This is horrible. What are we to do? Now, let me transfer that thought. Let me transfer that thought to a culture of church life in which we, are, we, are, we, have, we have trained ourselves to think differently than the world, right? We are to be different from the world. The love of the world, John says, is hatred of God. We are, we are, to, be, we are to be separated from the world. We understand that. But understand that as the Jews needed to think about how do we engage now 
a, a, a Gentile culture that we have cut ourselves off from, in the very same way, if we are to reach, as a, as a community of believers, if we are to reach a community that is unsaved, what does that mean? How do we, how do we engage a world that is so different thinking and, and, and uh, radically different from how we think ourselves? They are ethnically different, socially, economically. There is a brokenness in the world around us because of sin. Now, every one of us here this morning come from that same brokenness. Now, I was saved, I was saved as a young child. Let me, let me ask you, how many of you, let's say teenager or below, how many of you were saved as a teenager or below? Okay, quite a, quite a few of us, quite a few of us. I didn't have a lot of opportunity to wallow in the brokenness of sinfulness. I was saved as a five-year-old. I was brought up in a Christian home. Some of you were not. Some of you understand more closely what it's like to have to come out of a world like that. But if we, are going to, if we are going to engage as a church, we are going to engage people who are broken by sin. It's going to, we, we have to think differently about how we do that. We have, to, we have to engage a world that is broken. When I was a, an assistant pastor in Houston, we would get phone calls, it seemed like almost every week, from missionaries whose wayward children had made their way to Houston. Now, I don't know why Houston was a magnet for wayward missionary children, but we would get these calls. We'd, I'm, this is my name, this is the agency I'm with. My child has walked away from the Lord and they're living in Houston, would you see if you can find them? Would you see if you can help them? And I remember trying to track down some of these. Sometimes they're just, the, you know, it was impossible to track them down. But I remember at that, in that day and age, in the 80s, there was, a, there was a, a specific section of the city of Houston that was homosexually dominated, dominant. And I went into that community, and I found this, this, uh, this 20-something child of a, of a missionary and tried to, tried to befriend him, tried to, tried to encourage him spiritually. And I invited him to church. And I went and got him that Sunday morning, and I brought him, I brought him to church, and we sat down in, 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 a, in a morning service. And I have to say... I was never so embarrassed for our church that morning with that young man sitting beside me. The church knew he was homosexual, and there was not one person from the church that came up and greeted him. There was not one person from the church that tried to engage him and 
tried to befriend him at all. I, I was embarrassed for him. I was embarrassed for me. I was embarrassed for the church. Because the church didn't really want to engage the homosexual community. Now, that's just 40 years ago. I remember when I was pastoring in New Jersey, the very first sermon that I preached in New Jersey, 20 people, maybe less, and I preached a gospel message. I had no idea. Everybody to me is new. I, didn't, I don't even know who was, you know, I don't know anybody in the service other than the, the deacon that picked me up and I'd stayed with him that night. I didn't know anybody. So I give an invitation. Out pops this older fellow dressed in rags. Barely, you know, unshaven, hair uncombed. His name was Arthur. And, he, and I ask him as we, as we have the invitation, I ask him, Arthur, Arthur, why, why did you come? And he says, well, I want to I get saved this morning. Very first time I'm in the church. Everybody is a stranger. Arthur wants to get saved. So Arthur receives Christ that Sunday morning. But you know what? Through the years that I was at, at, at in New Jersey, in Kendall Park, Arthur, I don't know if Arthur ever missed a Sunday. He came every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. He rode the bus. I don't know. that. In fact, I, I don't even know if Arthur really had a home. I was never able to visit Arthur. I don't know how he, how he paid for bus fare. But Arthur was a man that the church embraced as a, as a, as a, as a man without means, but a man who received Christ gloriously as a Savior. Now, I want us to understand, as we think about what, what the church is as a melting pot, what the church is as, a, as an opportunity to come together to serve the Lord. It is about majoring on majors, not, not minors. Now, let me go into the outline, and we'll just, we're going to spend a little time here and just thinking through what this text is like. Um, what, the, first, the first point this morning is we have an unexpected invitation an unexpected invitation. So in verse 8, we read, Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Now when Paul writes, we are 2,000 years from Abraham, he is identified, Jesus Christ is identified here as the servant to the circumcision. It's the only place in the Bible where you find that description for Christ. He is, he is uniquely given to Israel. We are 1,500 years from Moses and the law. The Messiah was Jewish, born under the law, sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He came to fulfill the law. He lived under the law. And he is described here as the servant to the circumcision. And understand that the gospel was first given to Israel. The church was first given to Israel. 
it was in its origins Jewish. Jesus Christ came to, it says in verse 8, to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Jesus Christ is about the promises of the Old Testament. He is about the, the fulfillment of prophecy that was in the Old Testament. And it's uniquely Jewish in its origins. What a wonderful thing to understand that in God's plan, God used the people of Israel and and through them to produce the Messiah who would, in fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, provide redemption. I mean, what a wonderful picture we have of the Old Testament. And in fact, if you were to, if I was to ask you, what's the the point of the Old Testament? What's the storyline of the Old Testament? If you've been in Sunday school at all, if you've been in services at all, the storyline of the Old Testament is Israel. The storyline of the Old Testament is is, is Abraham and Moses and David and the, the, the kings of Israel, and, and it's the storyline of Israel. That's the story. But look with me here because Paul doesn't stop there, but look at what he does in verses 9 through 12 is he says that he introduces this section at verse, verse 9, So you have the promises to Israel, but you have the provision to the Gentiles that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Now, at this point, you really have my attention because I'm Gentile. I'm not, as far as I know, I'm not, I don't, I don't have Jewish blood in me as far as, as far as, as far as I'm aware. I'm about as Gentile as you can get. And so when the Bible talks about Gentiles, you, you, I, you know, I perk up. We're, you know, we're talking, we're talking about me. Probably we're talking about you. So, you know, perk, perk right up here. And so understand, what is, what is from the earliest stages of Judaism, God wanted the Gentiles to glorify him. From the earliest parts. Listen, Jesus was given as a servant to the circumcision, verse 8. Why? That the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And so what, what Paul does is he gathers four different quotes from the Old Testament that all have to do with Gentiles. Now, What's the storyline of the Old Testament? The storyline of the Old Testament is not, is not about Gentiles. The storyline of the Old Testament is about Israel. But what we find embedded in the Old Testament is this, this richness of what God actually is planning for the, for the Gentiles. It begins in Genesis chapter 12. All families of the earth will be blessed in the Abrahamic covenant. These four quotes, the first one is from David in Psalm 18. For this reason, verse 9, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing your name. 
here, here, is, here is David. It's really a missionary text. From the Old Testament, David says, I'm going to confess Christ. I'm going to confess the truth to the, to the, to the world. Uh, look, at, look at the next one, verse, uh, verse 10. Deuteronomy 32, out of the law, Moses writes, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Come together with us and rejoice. Again in verse 11, you have Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. Now what is interesting is Psalm 15 through 115 through 118. Those, those four psalms are sung at the Passover. They're sung together in the Passover at the last cup. By the way, if you're interested in a, a Passover Seder, April 3rd at Faith, um, the seminary faculty are, are going to be putting on a, a, a Seder. If you're interested in doing that, we can give you more information. But when in, in Matthew 26, after the Last Supper, it says they sang a hymn and went out. That hymn was probably Psalm 115 to 118. Right in the middle of that is Psalm 117, which says, the first verse, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. That was the song that, was, that is sung at every Passover Seder. Today, Israel sings that song at every Passover. Then the last one is from Isaiah 110, which really is, or 1, 1, 1, uh, 11 verse 10. It's really a, it's really a, a, a millennial text. He, there shall be a root of Jesse, which is who? Who's the root of Jesse? David. And ultimately, the Messiah, who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Really talking about Christ, ultimately. And understand that, that these texts are embedded in the Old Testament so that the, the Gentiles have hope. The, the Gentiles have hope in the mercy of God. Believing Israel had to accept the unacceptable. You know what the unacceptable was? The Gentiles are part of God's plan. And they were from the very beginning. You and I, if Jew or Gentile, together today, we are part of God's plan, and the design is that we are to get together. We are to work together. We are to be part of the church together. Our survival depends on reaching the people around us with the gospel. Listen, folks, I want to encourage you in what it is to serve the Lord together, majoring on majors, not on minors. Now, it is possible to have distinctives 
and to have even personal convictions and to have, have things that we want to have in, maybe in our own life, in our own families, in our own context of, of, of personal faith with Christ. But are those items really things that are majors or are they minors? You know what the early church, now again, picture yourself, you're, you're Jewish. And you find out that the Gentiles are coming in. The Gentiles are going to be part of this, this body. So do we just let them in on, the, on their own terms, just faith in Christ, and they come in? Or do we say, I have hundreds of years, I have thousands of generations where we have been different as Jews. We've been different in Judaism. And that's important. We don't want to forget that. We want that to be part of it. And so we want Gentiles that are coming into the church to be part of the history of what we have. So they ought to come, become Jewish first. Then they can become Christians like we have. It's called Judaizers. That's why the book of Galatians, for example, is written. And what do we say to that? We say, no. We say, no, that isn't, that isn't what God's intention was. God's intention is that we all are able to come together. And Romans 14 opens the door for us to understand how can we be, have, have some different convictions in, in different areas, and yet still work together. We, we recognize what is our major doctrine, the doctrines that, that on which the gospel hinges. Those are majors. But we are going to allow these other things to be minor doctrines. What is interesting about these four quotes is that they are from all parts of the Old Testament canon. We have the law, we have the prophets, and we have the writings, which are, which are the psalms. Bringing, bringing the Gentiles into the church is not Paul's idea, but rather it is, it is God's idea. What is interesting is that if you think about in the, in the New Testament, you have some interesting connections in the New Testament to the Gentiles, in Luke chapter 4, you remember Christ goes into the synagogue and he quotes from Isaiah 62 and he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing and he sits down and there's a disruption in the synagogue. By the way, we were, we were in that synagogue in, 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 um, in Nazareth. We were, we, we were, we were there where Christ, where Christ said those words. And, and recognize with me that as we think about as we think about what Christ said, here's what else he says. You know what he says, says next in, in Luke chapter 4? We're, we're not going to turn there for time. He says, do you remember Elijah when there was a drought? There were widows in Israel that needed food. But where did Elijah go? He went to a, a Gentile woman. 
God didn't send him to a house in Israel. He sent him to a Gentile house. And you remember Elisha. Were there, were there lepers in Israel that needed to be healed? Yes. But what leper did Elisha heal? It was Naaman, a Gentile. And then Jesus says, the gospel is more welcome among the Gentiles than it is among God's own people. And I want to encourage you today in understanding that God's plan from the beginning has been to bring into the church, not just Jew, but Gentile as well. And that from the very outset, God has expected that his church would work together. Understand what are major doctrines, what are minor doctrines, and be able to work together. Let me go on, lest, lest I... Uh, don't get through this text. But I want you to look with me secondly in verses 13 and 14, what I call an unequaled power. An unequaled power. In verses 13 and 14, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. How does all this take place? How can, how can people who are so different function together? It's, it's through the saving power of the Holy Spirit. It is through the, 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 the power that transforms our sinful natures into a nature that even is, is um, um, transforming the, the fallen image of God in us into a renewed man. Then notice in verse 14, now I myself am confident concerning you. Paul had confidence in the church at Rome. Do you think Paul has confidence in us? I hope so. My brethren, that you are full of goodness, there's one, filled with all knowledge, number two, able to admonish one another, can we teach each other how to do things right? Can we correct each other along the way? Can we say, we need to go, uh, have a course direction and, and do things a little bit differently? So we're going to have, we're going to have a uh, a couple of outreaches here coming up in a few weeks. We're going to have a Good Friday service where we want to try to invite our community. And we're going to have an Easter service where we're going to in invite our community. And so we, we're, going to, we're going to engage people, hopefully. Now, I, maybe they come in by the hundreds. I don't know. I, maybe not. Maybe not. But how do, we, how do we learn to engage people who aren't like us, who don't think like us, who aren't on the same wavelength as us? You know, how do we, how do, we, how do, we do that? Well, I, I would tell you that it's not significantly different than the, the, than the Jews having to welcome these Gentiles into the church. 
they had to they had to make a lot of shifts and a lot of a lot of a lot of things that are going on and and we're going to see a lot of the culture that is around us what is the culture like around us today the culture is broken there's a sinfulness around us how do we engage that how do we how do we interact with that I mean, if there were people that came and sat in this church, even on this Sunday morning, who were different than we are, look different, smell different, act different, even in our families there's brokenness. How do you interact with them? How, are, are we thinking about the gospel with them? Listen, it is, the, it is the power of the gospel that transformed you, transformed me. If it were not for the power of the gospel, what would we be like? What, what, what would we be doing? We certainly probably wouldn't be here on a Sunday morning except for the power of the gospel, the power of the Spirit of God in us. And I would say to you, we have to have an attitude where we can engage people in the brokenness of sinful, sinful lives that they have. I like verses 13 and 14 because I get the attitude that Paul is saying to the church, you can do this. You can do this. You can, you can engage your own, your own convictions. You, can, you, are, you are different as Jew and Gentile. You are different, and yet you can do this as a church. You can live together in peace and in harmony. Yes, there are differences, but you can do this together. It's an unequal power. It is a power that, will, that, that transforms the dead spiritually dead to the spiritually alive, transforms us from, from, from uh, wallowing in our own self-centeredness into thinking of others and serving others. And then thirdly, Paul gives us really a biographical sketch where he, he talks about an unexpected apostle, an unexpected apostle, and in verse 15, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about grace the grace for salvation. He talks about the Gentiles for his service, where, where he was happy and, and pleased to serve the Lord. And then he talks about a, a gospel that transforms, a gospel that changes lives. And I want to encourage us today as we think about really these three items, you know, what ministry looks like. It's a, it's a product of grace. It is a, it, is a, it is a product of our serving, our communities, this community in particular, and it's about gospel proclamation. Let me encourage us as we think about how do we go forward. Paul, interestingly, 
talks about this in terms of his own ministry. And interestingly, in verse 19, he says, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ so that I've made it, verse 20, made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. He, he, wanted, he wanted pioneer missions. Now, it's really hard for us sitting here in Des Moines to think about pioneer missions. There are places in the world where the gospel has never been preached. But I will tell you that you are going to find people in this community that do not know who Christ is. You are going to find, it's, it's, this is a different world than it was 50 years ago, 60 years ago. When, I, when we, we were largely living in a culture that was, that was really a Christian-based culture. That's not the kind of culture that we have today out and around us. We live, live, this church is centered in a community that, I will tell you folks, by and large, does not know the Bible. They could not point to you the gospel of John in the Bible. They don't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They, by and large, have, have, have nothing to do really with understanding what the scripture's like. Now, I'm, it's not quite what Paul is talking about, pioneer missions. But I'm telling you, we are, we are in the middle of a community that does not know Christ. And as Paul's heart was to recognize the grace that he had been given, where on that Damascus road in Acts chapter 9, Recognize the grace that was given to him. Recognize the, 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 the mission field that is around us. The, it, it, and it is actually Gentiles. The Gentile mission field around us. And then understand that the gospel can go forward with power. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful ministry to be able to take what we have received in Christ, this, this precious gospel message, to take this message and to give it to a world that by and large has no idea who Christ is and what he has done for them. And I want to encourage you today, the same gospel that transformed your life The same gospel that brought you out of darkness into marvelous light. That same gospel will transform your neighbors, your families, your co-workers. And I want to encourage you today to recognize not just that the gospel has power, but it's a gospel that needs to be communicated. You know, it's hard in this day and age. It's hard to stand up for Christ. It's hard to be a witness for Christ. But let me encourage you today not only to stand up and have a testimony for him, but there are things that we can do as a church as we look forward to reaching this community for Christ. Let's, 
let's recognize God's got a plan. Let's figure out where we fit into that plan. And you know, go back to verses 13 and 14. You can do it. Paul had confidence in the Roman church. He says, you, you can do this. You've got this. Let's take the gospel to those who are around us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of Christ, the blessing of the gospel, the, the blessings of the blood of Christ that forgives sin. And we ask, Father, that this, this message that has transformed us that the power of the gospel to change lives would change lives all around us. And we ask, Father, that you would help us as a church to, uh, to uh, understand the, 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 the potential that we have for all these things in Christ. And we'll give you the honor and glory for what you accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.